0: We still don't have the full story on the county reimbursing the Cuyahoga County workers for their furloughs, trying to get details. We talked about it yesterday, but the details are still sketchy. We'll be talking about it some more in the near future, no doubt. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Layla Atasi. Happy Thursday.
1: Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday.
2: a Good news day. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's
0: a happy Thursday with this group today.
2: We have a lot on our plate today, Chris.
0: And we've got some things to talk about this morning, so let's get to the first one. How is Ohio's notorious congressman, Jim Jordan, taking on Major League Baseball? And is it for real or is it a stunt? Well, Tassi, this popped last night. Jim Jordan, Major League Baseball, have to talk about that.
3: Well, you know, in my opinion, this is a stunt because this will never pass in the Democratic-led House. No way. He is co-sponsoring a bill that would strip Major League Baseball of its antitrust protection, which the league has held for the past century. Basically, this bill would punish MLB for moving the All-Star Game from Atlanta to Denver in protest of Georgia's new voting laws. Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred announced the decision to move this game last week, and he said that the league fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. And this is how the league is choosing to demonstrate their values. The new Georgia law that's uh, at the heart of this would make it a misdemeanor to hand out snacks or beverages to anyone standing in line to vote. And it imposes a new photo ID requirement for voting by absentee mail. So, you know, of course, you can imagine the effect that this will have. Republicans say it's needed to restore confidence in the state's elections. That sounds crazy to me. You know, in Jordan's statement, he said, you know, big tech, big media and now big sports are working tirelessly to cancel conservative voices. That's my Jim Jordan uh, impression, (laughs) (laughs) How how is that how I mean how 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 are they canceling conservative voices by handing out snacks and water to people who are standing in line for hours to vote look you know i feel like if they wanted to sneak in the id requirement i think they probably could have done that but the prohibition on snacks and water comes off as totally gratuitous and just a bridge too far for most people including in this case major league baseball and although it's true that i think removing the all-star game from Atlanta perhaps unduly punishes small business owners who were counting on that surge of business. I think the league made the right decision and and is making a huge statement by doing this.
0: Every so. once in a while, a state does something egregious. North Carolina did this a few years ago. And, and the world erupts, business erupts, people withdraw. And what you've seen with this one is, I think I th- saw a headline today, a hundred different businesses have signed something protesting the removal of voter rights like Georgia has done. And what's fascinating is corporate America has long been a close partner of the Republican Party. And so the Republicans are all standing back going, wait, what, what, corporate America is mad at us about this? Well, how dare they? I mean, you had Mitch McConnell originally come out and say corporate America has no business interfering in politics. And then he realized, well, they do donate a lot of money. <laughs> dark money, so I say well, something they here? can donate money, but they shouldn't interfere with our decisions on this. So, go ahead, Jane Cahoon.
2: Yeah, we can't let this conversation end without bringing up the Jordan's whole argument about cancel culture, which he <laughs> right constantly. And here they are; they want to basically cancel out Major League Baseball. I mean, I just find that whole aspect of this hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's clearly a stunt, and, and it comes up regularly. People question why. Major League Baseball has the exemption. And, you know, there's good questions about why they continue to have the exemption because it is anti-competitive. But he's he's doing this just to make more noise for himself. I do wonder whether Georgia will come to its senses and, and amend this because they're going to lose money. I mean, North Carolina, I, as I recall, bent to that pressure some years ago. And Georgia may be in the same place. You're listening to This Week in the CLE What unflattering picture does John Boehner paint of former Ohio Governor John Kasich in his new book? Jen Cahoon, we were having a big debate last night on whether the headline on our story should say Boehner disses John Kasich or dishes on John Kasich. We went with (laughs) dishes because he says he likes them (laughs) and was just kind of given some gossip about them. But it's not very flattering gossip.
2: No, no, it's not. And we should note he said he loves the guy. Okay, but uh This was a a story. Sabrina Eaton uh, read Boehner's book, which just came out on Tuesday, and focused did a story focusing on the Ohio stuff in there. And she found this rather entertaining anecdote about the time when Boehner invited Kasich for a golf foursome with then President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden. And I remember this; it was like a friendly show of bipartisanship. But as we know, Kasich is a pretty tightly wound guy, and just how tightly wound is he? Well, you know, in one of the many great quips in Boehner's book, he says that Kasich would have a hard time relaxing on a beach with a cocktail and a massage, which I thought was just a great line. But he said Kasich was so wound up before this golf game because he didn't want to make a fool of himself before the president and the vice president and the and the global press corps. And he said he, he thought Kasich was going to start crying right there on the spot. And uh, but he somehow kept it together when Obama partnered with Boehner and then Kasich partnered with Biden for this for this game. And he said, John Kasich requires more effort than all my other friends put together. But I still love the guy.
0: The the thing I that was new. I mean, that was a new insight. We've we've Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time talking about John Kasich over the last 10 years and I really didn't know that he was that worried about the public opinion and and how he might appear. I mean, for me, that's the second greatest anecdote we've ever heard about John Kasich. <laughs> the best anecdote, of course, is when he stole that woman's seat in the in first class on the airplane and was Yeah, I don't know it. which
2: one of these is better. They they definitely rival each other for, <laughs> for great Kasich series. <laughs> Can I jump in here?
3: I I've got to read this book. You know, I I feel like <laughs> political memoirs are not really my thing, but this actually sounds like like a beach read. <laughs> you know, between <laughs> between the uh, you know the the buffalo scrotum that Boehner kept on his conference table, <laughs> to his like throwing shade on Jim Jordan for being a right wing kook or calling Ted Cruz Lucifer in the flesh, this just sounds so amusing and. I, and I also think I need to start bringing a Buffalo scrotum to sit on the table when I do interviews <laughs> with public officials from now on. I think that's very intimidating. And I, I like that touch.
0: The other <laughs> thing he said that I thought was very interesting is he compared the AOC squad and the, and the far left and what they want to the tea party during his day. He, he said, yeah. I, you know, I was trying to get legislation passed. I was trying to do things. And I had these far right wing nuts that were just, they were just, they just wanted to destroy. They weren't helpful. They never want to do anything. And he said, that's what he sees here. I'm not quite, I don't think I agree that that's what, what AOC and, and that crew was trying to do. Actually, I think that they are talking about policy in a way, but what he, what he described is he was trying to move the agenda along and had, had the people on the fringes really getting in the way. And I guess that, that is what's happening here yeah, the, the I, other thing that i think is was kind of not right about this he was a problem i mean he stood in right, the way I, I wanted to bring everything up. that obama was trying to do so he you know holding himself out as kind of this reasonable guy well since he left things have gotten way more wacky but when he was there it was kind of the far edge of intransigence
2: Well, not only that, but one thing I feel obligated to point out is that, you know, he laments all these, you know, he said it was crazy town and all these kooks on the far right and they're more interested in posturing than governing. But he doesn't take ownership of the fact that not only did he help elect some of them, but, you know, he doesn't blame himself for the gerrymandered system that we have here in Ohio, that he played a key behind the scenes role in in creating this system
0: that
2: people like Jim Jordan in power. But he kind of omits that from from the book, which I'm glad Sabrina pointed out in in her story. You know, I mean, so, I mean, that's...
0: uh... It's sad that the book makes you yearn for the day when he was here, because when he was here, it was not a good day. It's just gotten way worse since he left. Right. But good stuff. I'm with Layla. I want to read this book. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What did we find out from the public records in the Rocky River school scandal that has cost six teachers their jobs, but is largely passed with little detail from the district or the superintendent? Laura Johnston, we were kind of surprised when this all came down at the how much they kept secret and how much they didn't talk about, especially compared to Solon, where once that case was over with the high school principal, all the details were revealed. So we went hard at the public records. We got them and we did learn a few things.
1: We did. And, you know, as a journalist and a parent, I really can't think that the district is being transparent here. We haven't seen a narrative of how this all unfolded. That's led to weeks of speculation in the community, starting with this recording of two teachers conversation on Zoom about some mysterious photo and a text change. We did get a lot of paper yesterday um, digitally that looks at each of these teachers. There's six that um, resigned or retired in them. And most of it stems from this conversation on Zoom. There was a sixth teacher that was unrelated and a former student came forward while the investigation was going on, said that she had inappropriate interactions with a teacher who had like hugged her, kissed her on her cheek, called her sexy, told her about his sex life, which was unrelated, but definitely seems problematic. And so that was the most detail we got out of here.
0: Yeah, I, I I guess what comes across to me from this whole case so far of what we know is that they just weren't paying attention as the Me Too movement moved across the country. The the, the, the way they talk about students, the way they, they treat students, you just don't want that from a teacher. I mean, we entrust our children to the schools and to the teachers, and you expect them to be just guardians of them and mm-hmm. to, and to protect them. And, you know, those words should not issue from the mouths of teachers and then hugging and kissing. I mean, so what are you, what is yeah, that?
1: And, and the thing is there's been so much talk about like who's responsible for what and whether what these teachers did was really wrong because they're not charged with a crime. And, you know, some of them just seem like they're just protecting their own hide. They're not, they're not telling people about this text chain some of the teachers are not accused of anything with an inappropriate photo or the Zoom conversation, but just being part of a text chain where they said derogatory things about other staff members. But the thing is, and we had this conversation yesterday when we were deciding whether to name the teachers in the story. And obviously, we have every right to name them. It's public information. But these people should be held to a higher standard. They are taking care of our children. And on this side, you know, I think we have to err on the side of public information.
0: Well, th- this kind of gets into r- our right to be forgotten discussions, mm-hmm. where I've people ask that. to have their names taken down. And we do have a different standard with teachers, because if you are a parent who's sending your kid off to the school, you have a right to know if the teacher has done things that would you would find icky or questionable. What I am surprised at Rocky River is one of the very best districts in the state. It always ranks high. But they got a culture problem. And and unless that superintendent does something to to really retrain people on what their their brains should be focused on as they do their jobs, this won't go away. You've got to over, change this. Teachers should know it is never appropriate to talk about students in this way.
1: Absolutely. And this, I just want to say we have a levy going on in this community and it has changed the perception of the schools. And there's some concern that this levy won't pass because everybody's so like angry about what's going on in the schools that we've always been so proud of.
0: And the superintendent is making it worse by keeping it secret. Layla, Tassi.
1: You would think that uh, that more information
3: would benefit everybody involved, because, you know, in, on one hand, you know, those who who were most involved can be held to account and those who are marginally involved, at least their record will show exactly what it, it, you leave too much to conjecture Agreed. if you if you don't put it out there and then You'll find that there are some of the teachers who've been dismissed who want to get on with their lives will have trouble doing that because perhaps their marginal involvement was not made public enough. But, you know, generally, you know, look, I'm the mother of three young daughters. Every single day, I think about how much the world has changed since I was a preteen and a teen and what my girls will have to contend with as they get older. And, you know, social media and Snapchat have made kids so vulnerable to predatory behavior from their peers, the last thing they should have to worry about is whether their teachers are having these kinds of inappropriate discussions about them at school or trading text messages about them. The world is stressful and dangerous enough for them. I'm I'm glad that the district has dealt with this cohort of teachers. But yes, more information for the good of everybody involved.
0: You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's the sentence for a former Cuyahoga County jail guard who did not seek medical help for a dying inmate and then falsified records to cover for himself? Well, Latassi, this is part of the string of jail deaths that occurred under the watch of County Executive Armin Budish in, what is it now, three years ago, two mm-hmm. and a half years ago. This was an egregious case, and there is a payment to be made by the guard.
3: That's right. This, this guy... 62-year-old Martin Devering will spend 30 days in jail for failing to seek medical attention for a dying inmate and then falsifying jail records to cover up that he failed to make his required rounds in the hours when this inmate was dying. Devering pleaded guilty back in February to misdemeanor charges of tampering with records and dereliction of duty in the death of Joseph Archeo, uh, who died back in 2018. Devering agreed not to try to get his job back or seek back pay. Here's what happened. So Archeo, who was a veteran of the Persian Gulf War and later in his life battled addiction, had been booked in the jail on a probation violation. And on this particular day in 2018, he lay like crumpled on the ground while Devering completely avoided his rounds. And surveillance video, which Cleveland.com obtained, showed Devering sitting at a desk and falsifying logs to say he conducted his rounds every 15 minutes while he actually sat there and read the Plain Dealer sports page. I'm sorry to say that we are (laughs) part of this narrative. More than an hour after Archeo collapsed, Devering walked over and kicked his mat, then went back to his desk. Devering then left for his lunch break and minutes later, when the corrections officer who replaced him uh, saw the, sh- the condition that Arkea was in, he called for emergency help. And this man was later pronounced dead at the hospital. The medical examiner's office determined that he had died of a drug overdose and had heroin, fentanyl, cocaine and valium in his system. Devering's attorney, Roger Sinnenberg, argued that. The legal system was punishing Devering for actions that he didn't take instead of some overt act that led to someone's death. He said that compared to other corrections officers who were charged with assaulting a restrained inmate or public officials accused of stealing money, Devering's acts were not the worst form of dereliction of duty or tampering with records. Oh, really? I mean, the dude is dead, Roger. You know, I'm not a lawyer. So what do I know? Right. But maybe when your client is about to be sentenced for callously letting an inmate in his care die on his watch, you don't try to argue that it's not as bad as stealing. I I just think 30 days isn't enough for Devering, but I'm glad he'll get to enjoy the lovely accommodations of the jail that he poorly patrolled for decades.
0: And the the thing that gets lost in that is is when you're a jail guard, the, the people that are in the jail are your wards. You're responsible for their well being. Exactly. They're, they're they're unable to to take care of themselves because they're locked up, and so a okay. sin of omission is every bit as bad as a sin of commission when when you're responsible. It would be like a teacher ignoring a, a kid bleeding on the floor. I mean, we've been trusted. These these folks to the guard. So uh, I was uh, surprised to see that he got the 30 days because the the judges aren't always that uh, strong in penalizing people. But this was a a good one. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why is former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder's racketeering trial looking unlikely in 2021? Jane Kuhn, I'm so disappointed by this. This was going to (laughs) be the trial of the year. I want details, man. It's time to try this guy.
2: Yeah, you and a lot of other people, uh, this is another thing we're going to have to blame on the coronavirus pandemic. We we picked up this tidbit from an appearance on Wednesday by David DeVillers, the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Ohio, who until recently oversaw this big House Bill 6 investigation into what the feds say is the largest bribery scheme in Ohio history. But uh, DeVillers, who's in private practice now was fielding questions at the Columbus Metropolitan Club where he made this appearance. And he said he'd be surprised if any of the cases, in, including that of householder, go to trial this year. And he said, and that's based primarily on COVID because we've got people who are already locked up in prison and they've got the first shot at going to trial. As he has said previously, he's, he also blames the pandemic you know, as a factor in why there haven't yet been additional charges coming out in this case, which we've also been waiting for. He he said that federal grand juries were prevented from meeting due to safety protocols, and they only resumed meeting in March, but they are rolling along. So We'll have to see what
0: happens. The, the, what, what's disappointing about that? I get it. There are people behind bars and they deserve their day in court because they've been deprived of the liberty and they should move along with that. But you would, in a, in a public corruption case of this magnitude that has so much meaning for the future of the state, and we have all the state offices up for election next year, th- there is an urgency here to really get into the details of how this legislature was so bought and paid for and and it would almost be worth impaneling an entirely separate grand jury spending the money necessary and move this thing along so that we can get the answers and move forward i mean the 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 justice department kind of owes that to us in ohio we we deserve to know how how off the rails our government went so that we can fix it when we go to the polls next year
2: right and meanwhile we still have larry householder holding his legislative seat he's still in office which DeVillers said, uh, you know, he's got to be careful about what he says, especially about Householder. But he said he was surprised that Householder was still in office. No,
0: we're all surprised that the lame Mm -hmm. Republicans in the legislature will not oust him. They have the power to do it. They have they say they have the will. And yet there he sits. You're Mm -hmm. listening to this week in the CLE. What's at stake before the Ohio Supreme Court? In bombing a golf course lease of some ancient Native American earthworks in Ohio. Laura Johnston, you get this question because yesterday you told me you were excited about this story.
1: I think it's really interesting. We're talking about the Ohio History Connection, which is the state's historical society, and whether it can use eminent domain powers to buy out a lease from this Newark golf course called the Mound Builders Country Club, which is located on a series of ancient Native American earthworks. I don't even know if it's PC to call something Mound Builders. Anymore, it kind of feels like these ancient earthworks are part of the traps and the difficulties of the course, like a water feature or a, or a sand trap. But is that yeah, is
0: that what it is? I don't know. Oh. I,
1: I'm just looking at the picture. I mean, it's wow. part of the golf course, so I don't know if they stand on them. They don't look, you know, roped off to me. But the lawsuit can decide whether the historical society officials can continue their efforts to designate this site a UNESCO World Heritage Site. They say that Earthworks was built by the Hopewell culture sometime between 100 BC and 500 AD. And they say, and this is arguable, it can't become this World Heritage Site if there's a lease on this golf course on the property. But really, they're arguing over money. And the Supreme Court justices kind of called them out on this, whether the appraisal is $800,000 or $1.75 million. And so the golf course is suing, but the justices are kind of like, well, if they offered you one point seven five million, would would this be moot? And they're kind of like, well, maybe. So I don't really know what they're doing at the Supreme Court. I just thought every Ohio school kid learns about these earthworks, and I thought it was kind of fascinating.
0: Actually, people across the country learn about the earthworks. The Great Serpent oh, So in Mound New Jersey is, is, as well. <laughs> I yeah, I you know, I've, I've, as even when I was a resident of the East Coast, I had visited the Great Serpent Mound. It's a it's a very unusual, kind of a unique thing. So we'll have to see where the Supreme Court goes. You are listening to This Week in the CLE. How much did Cuyahoga County Council agree to spend on a central booking facility? And why is that important for fairness in the county's justice system? Well, Tassi, this is kind of a big deal to getting to fairness, right?
3: Yes, it's a very big deal. Council members on Tuesday approved up to $2.4 million to renovate a floor of the jail at the Downtown Justice Center to house the Central Booking facility. Last year, counsel approved $825,000 contract for demolition and and other prep work. Central Booking is is meant to expedite the court process by getting suspects in contact with lawyers more quickly and and allowing for quick reviews of charges by prosecutors. And it would also allow for early pretrial assessments intended to ensure that suspects are given the, the least restrictive bonds possible and and appear at, at their later court dates. The facility is expected to be up and running uh, by October, which seems pretty ambitious, but we'll see if they can get it done. It will include spaces for officers to complete reports. It will have private areas for medical screenings. It will let attorneys and clients meet it privately. There will be an area for video court appearances. There will be temporary holding space and, and a waiting space with increased access to phones. But like you said, Chris, this is a really big deal. It's one of the linchpins in the court reform movement that we've been writing about and advocating for these past several years. Until now, the municipal court and common pleas have been able to kind of tinker with policies related to the bonds that are set for defendants. And they've really come a long way and and now pretty much have adopted a policy that presumes that folks accused of low-level crimes will be released on their own recognizance while awaiting trial which not only keeps the jail population down but lets those defendants keep their jobs and care for their families instead of languishing in jail but central booking really goes that extra mile at at this new facility they'll have prosecutors assigned early and public defenders will have their cases sooner so bonds can be determined even more quickly uh, city and county prosecutors can review cases much more quickly and, and weigh in on what are the appropriate criminal charges in each case. And very importantly, they can identify mental health issues or addiction in a defendant so that those cases can be routed to one of the court's specialty dockets. All of this will help the system function more efficiently for everyone involved. And frankly, it's about time. I feel like I've been hearing about this idea since I was a fledgling reporter, which <laughs> was a well, long
0: time ago. <laughs> I mean, we, the, look, Cleveland.com did launch this movement. We started the Project uh, Justice for All five years ago with, with a bead on this. There was great resistance in the early days, uh, but when people realized we were going to be relentless in putting their names out there, they finally got moving. It's taken way too long to get here. I mean, it's been five years since they said they would do it, but it's great to see we're going to do it, and it will make a big difference in a lot of lives. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. It's Thursday, so where do we stand in that all-important Mike DeWine metric for lifting all coronavirus restrictions? Jen Cahoon, we're never going to lift them.
2: Yeah, here I am once again with the weekly bad news. Uh, not only are we continuing to go backwards on this all-important metric, but this case rate has increased to almost 200 cases per 100,000 residents over the last two weeks. That's a rate four times the level that DeWine has set as his test before he's going to lift health orders. He wants to see a number of 50. And we were sort of heading in that direction when he announced this metric on March 4th. But we've just continued to go backwards ever since and get further and further away from that. We're going to get the official update this afternoon from the Ohio Department of Health. But Rich Exner, who has predicted this every week, projects it's going to be close to 199.8. As I said, almost 200. And he's pretty much been spot on about this. And um, so I guess we could argue that, you know, DeWine's already loosened up a bunch of restrictions. So maybe this number doesn't have as much meaning as it used to. But um, we still do have a mask mandate and and other well, rules that people have to live by. It,
0: it also is telling, right? I mean, everybody who wants the vaccine is getting it. I mean, it's becoming... Readily available. Everybody we know that has tried. Sometimes it takes a little doing and you need a little assistance, but people are getting it. So you keep waiting for that to, to reduce these numbers, and we're going in the opposite direction. And I'm just starting to wonder if, if this is because a large percentage of the population, Republicans in particular, are against getting the vaccine. And, and we're going to see these numbers keep going up until the unvaccinated hit herd immunity naturally instead of by getting the vaccine.
2: Well you gotta also mention the variants in this conversation that b one one seven variant that was identified in the United Kingdom that's more and more prevalent here that's wreaking havoc in michigan uh we're we're in a race to beat that with with the vaccinations,
0: yeah, I know, but it gets back to what I said people i mean people are all getting vaccinated it's it's yeah right. it, so why the, the we'll have to see i just i keep thinking. Yes, it's going up. The variant is out there. People are getting sick. But naturally, if enough people get vaccinated, they have the protection. It'll go down. And we have yet to see that. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Wasn't sure when I was putting together the topics for today that we'd have a robust discussion. But we ended up having a robust discussion. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Thank you, Jane. And thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast.